but then I also graduated college with a 2.5 GPA. Yeah, let that sink in. <laughs> 2.5 GPA. So any of you out there that are worried about grades, like you can make this thing happen. Hey guys, real quick, Dr. Dale here. All right, so I want you guys to do me a favor. Before you start this episode, please hit that pause button and click subscribe or click follow or click like, whatever it is. We work really hard to bring you guys this good information to uplift the entire community. And we really appreciate you guys supporting our efforts and our work. Love you guys. Enjoy the episode. What is up, fam? It's Dr. Dale here, the author of How to Raise a Doctor, Wisdom from Parents Who Did It, Pre-Med Mondays, Black Men in White Coats, 100 Rules for Success, and the Dr. Doc Children's Series. And of course, listen to the Black Men in White Coats podcast, the place where black physicians have the platform to share their stories with listeners like you. We're in a crazy day and age right now, folks. It is a crazy time. A lot of stuff going on in this country, political, racial, um, health, right? So physical, so much stuff going on. It's a crazy day and age, but guess what? We're going to be okay. We are going to be okay. Man, I've got a super excited episode for you today, man. And I mean exciting. This episode is fun. If I had to describe this episode in one word, I would just say it's fun. I, I just, I loved hearing the story. I laughed. You know, I, I related. Um, Just maybe, maybe one of the most fun episodes that we've ever had here on the Black Men and White Coast podcast. I'm going to get to it here in a second. But before I do, you know, a couple of updates for you guys, man. Like I said, it's been a crazy time in the world. And and um, within the world of Black Men and White Coast specifically, we finished our documentary. We have officially finished filming our documentary for Black Men and White Coats. And it's amazing, guys, because it is a climax of what's happening in the world right now. Somebody, I was talking to a buddy of mine, he described it as a microcosm of everything that's happening in the world. You know, the issue of lack of black men in the field of medicine, health disparities, all that stuff, right? Our documentary is the perfect mixture, the perfect soup to bring together kind of everything that is at the forefront of society today is touched on by our small documentary. It's all touched on, right? Because if you think about it, everything's going on in the world, at least in America right now, really a lot of it focuses so much on, on race, education and health and that's what black men and white coats is about race education and health not even our documentary but what we do in general we're about race education and health right so um the documentary is has come at a very timely time <laughs> a very timely time for um for all of us okay so we're super excited about that we've got a few things we got to do before we can get it out to you guys but it is done it's coming so hold on you know um be patient again i thank all of you who supported us you'll be hearing from from me very soon but i appreciate everybody who supported us and got us to the point where we can get this film out. Um, what else is going on? So this past weekend, man, I hope you guys joined. We had over 400 people register from across the country. We had a phenomenal mentoring lunch. It was amazing. Doctors, you know, students, parents, teachers, you know, it was amazing. Phenomenal time, right? Over 400 people registered for our mentoring lunch. And we had a good time. Um, you know, great feedback, a lot of fun. We ended up going an hour over because nobody wanted to get off the call. Um, and then finally, I just it's a virtual mentor on lunch, okay? So finally, I had to just kick everybody off because, um, you know, it was going too long. The students had a lot of questions. The docs were excited to talk to the students. It was amazing. So, you know, I really appreciate um, everybody for showing out, but I really appreciate the docs for coming through because I understand everybody's really busy. So I just want to say thank you to all the doctors who came out because, uh, you know, doctors and other healthcare professionals and med students and such, because I know, I know you're busy. So for you to dedicate your time, understanding how, how challenging it is right now for the students to get this guidance, for you to be there and just chat with them, you know, that meant a lot to, to me and I know it meant a lot to them. So thank you for doing that. All right. So those are kind of the main things that are going on. Well, a lot more is going on, but I'm going to keep it at that because I'm so excited about this fun episode so man t t today we've got student dr flowering at ame um 
man, I relate to this kid, man. I call him a kid. He's younger than me. He's not a kid. You know, he's a medical student. But I relate to him, man, just because some of the stuff he says, um, you know, he's Nigerian, I'm Nigerian. And one of the things I remember my parents would always say, and a lot of immigrant parents probably say this, if you ever get in trouble when you're young, right, they always threaten to send you back to their country or your country, whatever you want to call it, my country. I was born in Nigeria. So for me, it'd be my country too. But, you know, if you get in trouble, they always they always threaten you to, to send you back. You know, they'll say, ah, you know, keep eyes up, I'm going to send you back to go live with your grandparents or whatever. Um, and I just thought it was hilarious. I don't know if he went back necessarily because he got in trouble. I thought it was hilarious that he actually went to Nigeria um, and got an education. And what I love so much about it is later on in, the, in this fun podcast, you guys will understand what I mean when I say fun. He just has a great way of telling stories, man. It's just um, it's a breath of fresh air. But um, I love I love how he talks about Nigeria in this podcast and, and uh, you know, the perspective it gave him on education. The perspective it gave him on education was, was really interesting. I love that. Um, you know, so, so I relate to him for a variety of reasons. But I'll say, you know, the, the thing that I got out of this podcast the most is this idea of, of, you know, obviously under the guidance of God. So I, I believe God lays everybody's paths, really. But but below that is you create your own journey, right? You create your own journey. And, um, and you know, what I mean by that is he, he talks about how, and I want to ruin it for you guys, but he talks about how, how people are going to tell you so many things, in his case, with football. So people tell you so many things about where your path should be going, right? People tell you what they believe your destiny to be. But at the end of the day, it's your destiny. It's your journey. And you have to choose whether or not you, how much you listen to those individuals and, and how hard you go, right? That's one of the main things I got from you. The second one, I'll tell you on the backside after you hear the podcast. But, um, you know, it's this whole idea of, you know, people are going to be yapping in your ear. You should do this. You should do that. Yeah. Oh, no, you don't do this. Oh, you're going to be great at this. And everybody's got an opinion of your life. I know it's not going to stop. Trust me. I mean, I'm still getting it right now with all the stuff that we do. We still get this. Everybody's got an opinion of my life for me. Same as you guys. Everybody's going to have an opinion of your life for you. But first and foremost, God is in charge. So what God lays out is what's to be right. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't believe we have choice. I believe we all have choice, but understand that, you know, God's will will come to fruition. That's first and foremost. Now working within that somehow in a way that I can't explain is you establishing your own journey, you developing your own path within that somehow, right? I can't explain that. I don't understand it, but somehow it's you establishing and developing your own path with the choices you make based on what you believe to be best in your own life. And that is so important. You're gonna hear that here in the story. Um, and it's something that I believe we all need to hear, no matter where you are on the journey, whether you're a pre-med or whether you're a, a 70-year-old professor of medicine, right? No matter where you are on the journey, I believe that we all need to hear that. And you guys are gonna enjoy this episode. Introducing my guy, student doctor, Florin Ademi.
gotta set you a goal. Before I even go in, I just wanna come from a place of gratitude to this universe for always putting me in positions where I can continuously fulfill my purpose here on earth, as well as inspire others. I truly thank God for that. And Dr. Dale, I gotta thank you a couple of times, honestly, one for this dope opportunity you've given me to come here and share. And for creating a platform like this where other young black men can come share, see, and hear from other black men in medicine. You know, there aren't a lot of platforms, to my knowledge, where one can get on to see people who look like them and professions they want to be in. So I think this is mad important. I'm deeply humbled to be sitting on the other side of this mic for this specific podcast for many reasons. You know, uh, Black Men White Coats came for me at a good time when I was applying to medical school. Found some of the videos on YouTube. I used to work at UT Southwestern in Dallas as a clinical research coordinator where the summits are held. And I've personally had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Dale through one of my mentors who also has an episode on here, Dr. Brian Williams. You know, for somebody who says this is very dear to their heart and only to find out that there's so many of these podcasts that I haven't listened to, I'm like, dang, where have you been, bro? And I've also had the pleasure of communicating with Dr. Antonio Webb, who also has an episode on here. I used to watch his YouTube videos uh, back then as well. Like, so to say I'm deeply humbled, like I'm not playing. So I'm going to start with some background, but then expand on my sense of self and identity because I feel like it was at those self-realization moments that things started to pivot in my life. Uh, so I come from a family of three. My, I have two sisters in me. <laughs> I was born in PG County, Maryland. Uh, both of my parents are of Nigerian descent. And I think it was at the age of eight when they decided that they were going to move my siblings and I to Nigeria. And the reasoning was that they wanted us to understand our privilege being born in America as well as learn the culture that they came from, which in hindsight that I think about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, that was a good uh, idea, especially with how my life turned out. But at the time... I was like, well, I mean, why is this going on? You know what I'm saying? So, and I highlight this point because at this time, at that eight years old, I was going through an identity issue that lasted maybe about eight of those additional years. Because at the time, I was being made fun of a lot. You know, me having an African name, I was being made fun of by kids being called the African booty scratcher here, there, there, and that. And but for me, I couldn't really understand why people that I thought looked like me were judging me or making fun of me because my name was not from here. And then I get moved to Nigeria where I'm being made fun of because I'm the American or that I'm the wannabe American kid or I'm the, the kid with the American accent. So for me, it was a big issue with my identity and my sense of self, which it's usually in that period that kids, boys are open up to influence at that time. You know what I'm saying? When they don't have a strong sense of identity and self. So it was at that period in time where I was open to a lot of influences. You guys will be able to see some of that the more I'm able to go into that. My time in Nigeria really shifted my perspective to a lot of things and allowed me to really be comfortable with being uncomfortable, so to say, you know what I'm saying? Like I can literally go anywhere and it really filled into uh, my love for traveling, being able to go explore different places. But anyway, coming back to America, my family moved to Dallas, Texas, and that's where I really had my first encounter of what it was to really be black in America. And I think that's uh, once again around that uh, time 
that I was really, really influenced. So, so when I moved back, I was at my uncle's place when I had my first encounter with the police officer. Now, if I go into the details of the story, I'm going to go over podcast time. So I'm going to go ahead and just give y'all the condensed tea. But I went out one night and I thought I was being followed by a vehicle. And that vehicle ended up being a police officer, which to me was good news. But that's not how that situation went. I ended up being cuffed up and taken to the uh, holding cell. Whenever the uh, whenever I was in the face of the prosecutor, and I'll never forget the face of the prosecutor. It was one of the like realest conversations I ever had. Like He broke things down to me and, to- and pretty much told me that because of who I was and where I was, nine times out of ten, I was going to get picked up by a police officer in that area. Now, like, straight to my face, like, in front of my mom is like, yo, like, you are a black man. I'm sure you've heard this before, but you are a black man. You are a black man in America. You are a black man in a predominantly white neighborhood. If there is any issues within that area and police is within that area, you will get picked up. And I had a real self-realization moment because these are things that like my parents have told me. And I know parents have told their sons now, but we're not thinking that whenever we walk somewhere that we're having to apply that same principle, especially when we're doing when we're not doing anything crazy or than just being human, you know. So for me at that time, like. It was just a surreal moment that this bozo uh, prosecutor, <laughs> he's not really a bozo, but he's really just telling me to tighten up, you know? And the judge was the same way. He was real, real, and he broke down the situation to me again. And he really just offered me a bargain deal on his end, saying that if I did well on my academics the next six weeks, six weeks that uh, I could forget everything else ever happened, which was easy for me at the time because I just came from Nigeria and their curriculum is one of the hardest curriculums I have ever faced. Like, I'm not playing like those guys know what they're doing. Like, those kids are smart. You know what I'm saying? So I wasn't really challenged a lot that way. Plus, I was really open to any influences, which is why I'm a strong advocate for our young black boys to have mentors because that's the age that they're really, really influenced. I noticed that I became really influenced like quickly. I noticed that all of a sudden I was playing all these sports. Now I loved all these sports, but every time I reflect back to it, I was really told to play a sport because somebody told me to play it because I was good at it and that's what I should do. And so before you know it, Florent was going to the league, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, I was going to the league. Like, by the end of high school, I had it in my mind that I was going to the NFL. You know, I'd heard it a million times in my head, being told by myself and being told by a couple people. So I went to college and it was not the case. I mean, the college coach that had recruited me to this school had left by the time I got there. So when I got to the school... I had to walk on again. Now I'm talking about sports, but anybody out there like that has played sports or that is currently in sports, like shout out goes to them, like for real. Like I think anybody who plays a sport is probably one of the most like disciplined set of people. You know what I'm saying? So like if you're out there doing your thing, like shout out goes to you because it's not easy to be a student athlete.
and uh, especially when you're in college, it's just not easy. You know, they're demanding so much of you. Uh, like a typical day would be you're up at six because you have weights at seven. And then because you have to be in class by eight, all your classes have to be from eight to 12. And then, yeah, you may get a lunch break to one o'clock, but then you got to go to treatment and then you got to go to meetings and then you got to go to practice. And then you're going to practice after that. And then, yeah, you're going to go to dinner, but some of those have study hall, might have to go to study hall. And then during game week, you're coming back to watch film again. So how much, how much studying time are you even going to do after that? So for a lot of people, it's almost at a pick and choose. And to those that can do both, like kudos goes out to you, but it's really, really difficult. And most of us were betting on going to the NFL. That's what I noticed. I noticed that every black person on my team had the same story. Like we all had similar stories. We were all really good at our high schools and were told that we should come play and a lot of them were actually really, really good. Like, I'm not, I'm not putting that on anything, you know what I'm saying? But a lot of us were told that we should play these sports and then we get to college. And then one thing that everybody doesn't realize is that everybody was the best at their high school. So now they're coming to a really competitive college and every, where everyone was the best. And everyone there is competing to be the 1% in the NFL. So, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of motivation in that. And the hunger is there. But the truth is that it's not all of those kids are going to make it. And then when they realize, because college sports is cutthroat, <laughs> you're going to know. You know, when you realize that those, like it's not going to happen in the way you envisioned it, the dream starts to die and a lot of motivation dies with it. And that's what happened to a lot of my teammates was that everybody was so gun ho on making it out. You know what I'm saying? by the means of playing sports, but not everybody could do that. And they forgot that they had range because they weren't told that they had range. They were told that they can do this one thing and this one thing only. And that's when I realized that we were told a lot of the same things and that we all had similar dreams. Now, I remember having a conversation with one of my uh, teammates and he was telling me how, you know, this was it for him. Like he did not know how to apply himself academically and that school was the only, I and mean, football was the only thing that he could do. And he was just sad because things weren't working out the way he envisioned it. And because they weren't working out that way, he knew that he was gonna go back to Mississippi. And he had explained to me the things that were going on in Mississippi at the time. And just like that, next semester he was gone, along with a couple of others that I started playing with. So there was a time I had asked myself that why did it feel like a lot of us were told or like not even necessarily told, but why is that a lot of us felt like we were one dimensional? And that's how I felt like a lot of us felt. I'm not speaking for everybody else. That's how I felt like a lot of us felt like. Because, and this is the reason why I had like a lot of beef with college sports at the time, because they were, they demand so much of these young adults and they just get rid of them if they don't need them anymore. And that's how cutthroat sports usually is. Like once you're done, it's a wrap, like it's next man up. And even though that might be good for a team to like win, but 
for the individual themselves. Like, what does that do to them? What does that do to their mental state? Especially when most of these cats think that there's no other option for them. Now, when I started to play more, I literally had to pick and choose on which one I wanted to do more, uh, sports or academia. And I chose sports. And after the semester, my grades were terrible. Now, this was the semester before I graduated college. So for me, it was a real evaluation point. When I got those grades back at the end of the semester, I had achieved every single thing I wanted to that semester as an athlete. But academia-wise, <laughs> it was not even close. You know what I'm saying? And so I had to really sit and evaluate what this meant for me going forward. I could continue to play because I had more eligible seasons or was this it for me? And I sat, I never done math so fast before to crunch the numbers and realize that I was not gonna make that 1%. I just wasn't. And I had to let the game go. I remember going into my coach's office and looking at his face when I told him I wasn't gonna play because he was like, yeah, you know, you've worked so hard to get to this point where you're actually getting more play time and you could actually fight for a spot next semester. And here you are giving it all of that away. And I remember that meeting being so hard for me because he was right. I fought all of that way to get to a good position. But for me, realizing where I was at that point in life, I knew I could not play anymore. And that was it. Now, I'm not telling anybody to give up their dreams because things aren't working for them. Like, a lot of things aren't going to work and you're going to have to continuously try. That's why I still have people that I know that went to the NFL. But you have to be able to realize whether what you're doing is for you versus everybody else. Because if it's for everybody else, yeah, you might have some steam, but it might not last long. It might not last long as the steam that comes from your core for yourself as to what you want to do with your life. You know what I'm saying? And if you're coming from a sport, if you're transitioning from a sport to this, to medicine, you're going to be just fine. Like the principles you've learned within your sport, you can apply them. I apply those same principles when I'm about to, as I'm studying, like to prepare for exams and all that stuff. It's the same principles. But like I said, you have to know within yourself if it's what you want to do. Because the moment I realized that everything I going forward was going to be for me, it was over. <laughs> like it was over, like a different sense, a different shift of like energy because I knew exactly that everything I wanted to do was going to be for me. And so now graduating, I had to reevaluate. I mean, I graduated college young. I graduated college at 20 years old, so I had time on my hands. But then I also graduated college with 2.5 GPA. Yeah, let that sink in. <laughs> 2.5 GPA. So any of you out there that are worried about grades, like you can make this thing happen. You know what I'm saying? You just have to you just have to go get it. You have to be a go-getter. So like when I graduated from college, I knew that going forward, like I said, whatever I was gonna do was gonna be because I wanted to do it. So then I just started to fall into things that I would, that had natural affinity for. I graduated with a uh, exercise physiology and biology degree. So at the time I was thinking, you know what, maybe I can go into PT. So, but in order for me to go into PT, I know that I needed to work in the field first because I wasn't just going to dive in head first. I was going to tap the water to see <laughs> what it was like, especially 
after um, how college went, you know, especially being influenced by different things. And also, I didn't want to become a doctor because at the time, my dad was pressuring me to become a doctor. Any of you like Nigerian American kids will understand that like, you know, parents do have influences on what you want to do. And I'm just the type of guy where you're just not going to tell what to do. Like, that's just like, period. <clears throat> so uh, I started working in the physical therapy field. I remember doing a uh, internship in an outpatient physical therapy, then moved into inpatient care physical therapy, and then moving further into acute care physical therapy at UT Southwestern in Dallas. That's, that was like my first job like in Dallas after I left my uh, college. This is back in 2000. This is like the end of 2014. Yeah. It's like the end of 2014. And so... Then, you know, I just started to, you know, I was enjoying everything that I was doing. But then I had a wonderful patient experience, which completely switched my gears. And that whole story is another conversation for another day. Like I said, because I would run out of podcast time, literally. But anyway, it sparked the idea of me possibly becoming a doctor. And when that happened, so many things happened for me. Like, I remember going home talking to my mom and saying, hey, you know, I'm thinking about becoming a doctor. And she kind of just laughed. <laughs> she kind of just laughed. And I was like, why are you laughing? Like, woman, why aren't you taking me serious? And her words were, you're my son. You know, I've always known, like, you know, her brother um, was a doctor. He passed away. Rest in peace, uncle. And she said that, you know, she was my mom and that she grew up with a doctor. And I was kind of similar to him. But she also knew that Pushing me was like the wrong thing to do and I needed to figure things out for myself. So then uh, after I decided I was going to become a doctor, I then was like, okay, before I go in, before I fully, fully go in, let me really figure out if this medicine stuff is really what I want to do. So then I transitioned to the EMS, became an EMT and was working in that. And that's when I was like, okay, this medicine stuff, this stuff right here, this, this is where we're going to. But now I had to reevaluate because I had to get my classes up. 2.5 GPA, ain't nobody in this world going to let me to school. So then I was like, all right, what should I do? So I started to look at these post-bac programs, right? And this was experience within a post-bac program that I would never forget. So I was in touch with this post-bac program, won't name no names, <laughs> but this post-bac program had told me to do every, everything. I'm going to, let me recap. They had said that their program was pretty much for academic enhancement, which was me. They were taking low grade GPAs, putting them through a rigorous program so that they can uh, matriculate into med school. 80% of their program matriculates. I'm thinking, why not? So I'm in touch with this school. They tell me that all I need to do is go and take these classes that I had, hadn't taken yet. So I go back. I go retake those classes. I'm in touch with them. I do every single thing that they need me to do, including taking the MCAT when I was not ready. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. I'm just going to throw it out times. I throw it out here. I took the MCAT th three times, three times, a whole three times. And I don't think I was prepared for as nearly as prepared as I should have been for any of them. But the first one, I definitely was not prepared at all because I was under the impression that she had told me, that person had told me that I just needed to have an MCAT on file. And during the post-bac program, I would, we would take an MCAT again. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. I'll just take it. I came back. I did everything that they needed me to do. 
then I applied. And after I applied, I got rejected. <laughs> and when I got rejected, they had told me that in a letter, not even in the letter. So they sent the letter of rejection. And then they sent an email saying that, hey, we would like you to come in so we can discuss how we can better improve your, your um, application. So me, who I love constructive criticism, was like, all right, bet. Like, I'll pull up. <laughs> so I went to the, to the lady's office. I went to the lady's office and I sat down. And this is how the conversation went. She said, Falarin, look at your grades and um, the, mean, the mean GPA of people that matriculated into their program was the 3.5. I said, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you, you guys told me that this was an academic enhancement program. I don't know how much academic enhancement you need with a 3.5 GPA. I am sorry. I don't know. If, if you know out there, you let me know. But for somebody graduated with a 2.5, like I think they need more of an academic enhancement than a 3.5. I think anybody can agree with me. And then I'm like, okay, well, I mean, that, you know, that, that kind of sucks. What should I do? And this is what she told me. <laughs> she said, you can go back to your undergrad and retake all of these classes, then reapply to this program, and then we can, we can talk. And I said, I remember saying, but ma'am, uh, isn't that what your program was supposed to do? It was supposed to avoid me from having to go back and taking all these undergrad classes. If I go back and take all these undergrad classes, it kind of makes your program obsolete, right? And she just kind of looked at me and was like, you know, there are, there are other professions <laughs> like research. And I was like, yeah, bye. You, you feel me? So I left. And after being no that first time, I was like, upset, of course, because I had taken the MCAT. People had already told me, you don't want to take the MCAT when you're not ready. But I'm like, you know what? I'm about to get into this program. Life's going to be good. And that's not how it was. So then I had to reevaluate again. And that almost took me away from medicine because it was a hard stop. But what ended up happening was I ended up getting a beautiful opportunity to go and do a, a medical mission in Haiti. And when I went to do that medical mission in Haiti, Oh man, it reignited that fire like nothing. I'm talking about like I came back and was like, all right, bro, it's cool. Let's get this work. 2000, it's 2017 at this time. I'm like, bro, let's get this work. All you got to do is take all these classes and life's going to be okay and keep on moving forward. So then I had to reevaluate again. What did I need to do? I knew I needed more shadowing hours. I knew I needed more uh, classes plus um, other medical experiences. So UT Southwestern, beautiful hospital. They allowed me to transition from my PRN uh, physical therapy position to a research position. So then, uh, but before I even transferred to that research position, I sh shadowed Dr. Brian Williams. And it was in shadowing Dr. Brian Williams that he was able to get me a research gig. And that research gig completely changed everything because now I started to really have a true inside of like different branches of medicine. I'm on the truck, I'm able to see what's going on from the 911 aspect, was working my PRN in uh, physical therapy to see the rehabilitation process. And I'm also doing this research, you know, for a surgery at the time, burns trauma surgery at the time. So it was amazing time for me while I was simultaneously prepping again to get into med school. 
and this is probably about maybe 2018 at this time. And 2018, I mean, was a good year. I prepped a lot for the MCAT at this time, ready to take it my second time. But the problem here was I was working so much. I was also taking biochemistry at the time, and it was just a lot. My advice to anybody who wants to take the MCAT, do not work. If you can afford not to work, don't work. Study. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I was, I was doing it all. And for those who are able to do it all, my heart goes out to you guys. You guys are better ones. But I remember prepping so hard for this MCAT. I'm talking about I was taking a practice test every week for eight weeks. And when the results came back, they were not what I wanted to do. They were not, they were not good. They were not good enough to get me in to a school. I'd raise my GPA, but they weren't enough. So then I had a moment where I was like, screw it. Instead of like sulking over it, I'm just going to run it back one more time. Run it back turbo, just run it back one more time. And I did. I ran it back another time and <laughs> it didn't work. So, uh, but the MCAT wasn't terrible and I decided to apply, right? And this was fall of 18. Yeah, fall of 18, I decided to reapply to med school. By this point, I had been talking to a lot of physicians. I had gotten good breaks. I, I'd really just been absorbed in medicine and I loved it and knew this was exactly what I was going to do. And so after I applied this MCAT, I mean, not even the MCAT, this um, process of applying to medical school is a very tedious process. It's like, <laughs> it's like they want you, it's like they want your firstborn child with all the questions that they're asking you, like for real. And I applied, but when I applied, I had told myself at the time I was starting to look at other places because for me, it was, like I said, uh, one of my teammates in high school had said something to me one time. He said, a man with his mind made up is hard to stop. And I remember after being told no a couple of times about how I should switch careers, because people are going to tell you to switch careers on the path to medicine. And even a couple of doctors would tell you to switch careers. I see why they do that now because it's it's really for the strong. Like it's a it's a marathon for sure. It's a marathon running this whole medicine stuff. And um, I remember applying, and when I applied, I had told myself that that I gave myself a deadline. I gave myself a deadline and said that if I did not get any like second interviews or anything else, I was going to switch my gears and I was going to look at Caribbean schools. And so whenever the application cycle went through by December of 2018, going in 2019, I had no interviews at all. And so I told myself, I was like, bro, you told yourself you was going to do this. So what are you going to do? And I started to look into Caribbean medical schools. Now that was everybody's, oh my God, no, don't go to the Caribbean. It's going to be bad. You're not going to become doctor, this, this, and that, and a third. And it's scary. It's a scary process when you think that you have to go to the Caribbean. I mean, not that you have to go to the Caribbean because the place is beautiful, but you have to go internationally because it's harder for you to get a residency per what people tell you. And I just decided that that wasn't going to be my portion. I decided that that wasn't going to be my story. I write my own story. You do not dictate what my story should be. And because of that mindset, guys, that self-realization into my mindset, into what I wanted to do as a person, I knew that I had to just just do it. I had spoken to a couple of surgeons, a surgical oncologist at UT Southwestern went to uh, went to the school I was looking at, St. George's University School of Medicine in West Indies. 
and he went there and I met another couple of uh, doctors who were also coming from the Caribbean schools. And all they told me was, you go there, you put your head down, you work hard and you come back and you're fine. And I decided to take that leap of faith. I decided to bet on myself. You have to bet on yourself, period. In this life, I'm telling everybody that's listening, if somebody gave you $100,000, you take that $100,000 and you invest that within yourself. Because if you, like that's the best return. The best return period is investing in yourself to, like, to bring out something. To, you know what I'm saying? To find your purpose, apply it to your potential. To apply yourself. These are all the things that I've learned over the couple of years. And it's now 2020. And your boy's in med school. You know what I'm saying? From making that decision in 2015. It took five years. But your boy's in med school and your boy's doing well. I I, I can say that I'm doing well. So without even taking too much time, I just want to let every single person know that's listening to this podcast that... You have to bet on yourself. Things are not going to be easy, but they will be worth it. If you want to come into medicine, we need more black men in medicine. We need diversity in medicine. These are things that you can do. And if it's not even medicine, whatever you decide to do, you can do it because that power is within you. That power is there, man. I promise you it's there. The same power motivation that you had to do whatever you liked, you can channel that energy into anything else. I always tell people that whatever you're going to do, you do it 100%. And even if that, even if whatever you do is not what you end up doing later, doing it 100% will open a door to another thing. And when it opens that door to another thing, you do it 100%. And when you do that 100%, you continue to move forward. I read a book one time and the book highlighted how in doing things 100% things will always work out. Guys, find your purpose, apply it to your potential to yield the best outcome for yourself. As you apply yourself to whatever your heart desires externally, do not forget to be in constant search of figuring out who you are internally. Your internal and external journeys must run parallel for the ultimate synchronicity. My name is Falarin Adeyemi. I'm a first year medical student at St. George's University in the Caribbean. And I'm about to be a black man in a white coat, man. <laughs> I take care. Student Dr. Falarin Adeyemi. Amazing. I told you it was going to be a fun, fun, fun episode. I just love it. I love the um, the jovial energy he brings to it, right? The laughter, the joy. In medicine, sometimes I think we get into this funk of thinking medicine's all work and it's all serious and you can't have fun with it. But just hearing his voice, I mean, you just, you just have to be happy hearing his, his voice and the story, you know, and... and you know, it's one thing to to get a message. It's another thing for somebody to tell a story and 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 deliver a message in a way that you enjoy and that you you relate to, right? And that's what he did in this episode. That's why I love this episode so much in particular. You know, people always ask us, say, "Hey, Doctor Dale, why do you do?" Um, you know, you're curious. Why do you do your podcast the way you do? Why don't you sit down and have these interviews one on one? And you know, we'll do. We might throw some of those in here every now and then. But we tell we do it this way so people can tell their story, right? Because that's what needs to happen. You know, black. 
black physicians need to be telling their story. So we let them tell their own story. I don't need to I don't need to talk to you to tell your story. I want you to tell your story how you want to tell your story so people can relate to it. And this episode is the perfect reason. Um, I'm sorry, the perfect example, really, of, of that exact point. You hear this and you can't help but to enjoy it. You can't help but to laugh with them. You can't help but to but to feel his his um his happiness, his joy, right? And then you think about that and you think about what kind of doctor is he gonna be? Right. Keep in mind, he's a medical student. So, but what kind of doctor will he be when he's all done? You know, yeah, you, you hear it in his voice. You can tell he's going to be a good doctor. You can tell he's going to be a doctor that his patients love just from hearing his voice, the happiness in it. Right. Um, so on the front end, I told you I was going to tell you my second take home message on the back end. Right. So, um, you know, the first take home message dealt with this idea of, you know, essentially um, your own path underneath the the providence of God, having your own path that you create, you choose what you want to do and things of that sort. Um, the second take home point is betting on yourself, betting on yourself. You know, he talked about this, um, this idea of going offshore to the Caribbeans and, you know, that's a whole nother episode and we can talk about that. I have my own personal opinions about that. A lot of people are going to have their personal opinions about whether or not you should or should not go to an offshore medical school. But I love what he said. He said, you know what? I'm betting on myself. That's what it was about. Give me an opportunity. I'm betting on myself. And he, he's betting on himself, right? And he said, you know, if you got $100,000, put it on yourself. And I agree with that, right? So invest in yourself. Bet on yourself, right? Um, you know, like just going back, man, it's funny. It's funny. I was talking to um my brother. A lot of you guys will know Dr. Daniel. He does all this stuff with me with Black Men and White Coast, DiverseMedicine.com, et cetera. And Dr. Daniel was talking about, he was like, man, Dale, you've never told your story on Black Men and White Coast. I was like, nah, I haven't. Um, you know, the, well, I started Black Men and White Coast to put other people on. You guys will notice we don't talk about ourselves. Social media, I don't post about myself much. You guys notice that we don't do that type of stuff, right? If I, if you guys see me on news or whatever, maybe every now and then I'll post it. But for the most part, you guys notice that I don't. Um, I so Dr. Daniel runs our Black Men and White Coast social media. So honestly, I don't even check all that. So I don't know what he posts on that. But from my own accounts. I don't, I don't post that type of stuff, so um, I just don't. I just don't post about myself. I just can't get into that, okay? So, but the reason I'm bringing that up is because a lot of the stuff that I, that I would love to um, tell you guys from my story, if I could tell you my story, um, one of the same things that he mentioned, if I, one day I'll make my, I'll, I'll get my podcast out just so you guys can hear it, but one of the things that I would, I would echo the student Dr. Flaren mentioned this idea of of going all in with with yourself right investing in yourself betting on yourself and i do a lot from that angle of, of preparing myself to be as good as i can in every every area i do and that means investing money for self personal development i paid for coaches to help develop myself things of that sort right so you you've got to develop better in yourself man i love that 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 is a take home message amongst a take home message among a table take home message you guys need to hear that one you need to hear it um, but here's the deal. You have to know how to do it appropriately with guidance. Don't just bet on yourself and be like, oh, I'm good. You got to bet on yourself and know what you're doing. You got to bet on yourself and have have mentors and sponsors, people to help you along that journey. OK, but that's that's just a you know, that's a jewel. That's a golden nugget that I believe in so much that, man, I could talk to you guys about that for another five hours here on this podcast. I'm not going to do it because you're not trying to hear me. OK, but, um, you know, one day I'll put up my story and, tell, you know, and my own Black Men and White Coast episode and a lot of stuff about me that. People just don't know because again, I just I'm a, I'm a probably a pretty personal, private type of guy, um, by and large. So, but one day I'll put myself up so you guys can hear, it, and I'll tell you all the little nuggets out of that. Um, man, what a fun episode! 
Student Dr. Falarin at Amy. Thank you so very much. This episode brought me joy, made me happy just to hear it. So, you know, I'm, I'm near certain, I can almost guarantee you that the listeners, the viewers felt the same way. Appreciate you doing that. All right, so all the pre-medical students, remember, check out premedmondays.com, premedmondays.com. We do coaching for pre-meds every Monday evening. Every Monday evening, we're on there with pre-meds in our little group, and we have accountability groups, and we have a whole um, one-year curriculum, and we make it dirt cheap so nobody can say they can't afford it. We started that because a lot of people were trying to get into these coaching services, and they just couldn't afford it. So we said, you know, put up $10 a month, and you guys can come do this, and we'll be there for you. And the $10 is just to make sure you show up, all right? Um, so that's the idea that we're premedmondays.com, diversemedicine.com, diversemedicine.com for premeds and for everybody else. Go on to get a mentor. If you don't have a mentor, we've got doctors on there. We've got med students on there. We've got med school recruiters on there to so get on diversemedicine.com. It's free. Take advantage of all this stuff. We spend a lot of time. Um, quite frankly, we put up a lot of our own personal money to, to make this stuff for you guys. So, so take advantage of it, man. Take advantage of it. All right, man. Next time we'll catch you. Love you. Bye.